Just a quick heads up, this week's episode of Battle of the Atom contains some strong language. everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of battle of the atom this is your weekly x-men podcast where normally we go through three x-men stories and rank them on our big list of every x-men story that's ever existed from best to worst but we're not doing that for most of march because we have a ton of interviews uh this week my normal co-host adam has decided that he can't speak which makes an audio medium a challenge for him so instead we've got a great guest he's the writer of Iceman. it's cena grace cena how you doing today i am uh aces <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm doing great thanks for asking how are you you know what i'm doing i'm doing all right getting getting through excited to excited to get this going because i uh, got a chance to get through all of Iceman, which is just finished and mm-hmm. been a really been a really interesting exciting ride yeah it's uh it's it's i haven't done the sit down yet where like i look at all 11 issues in one um mm-hmm. but i'm really curious to see sort of like how it how it goes as like you know uh one long read rather than sort of these monthly installments or you know a trade in some single issues so yeah it'll it's gonna be a fun weekend for me to like kind of pull them all out and uh and then go through and be like all right like how does this how, how's the flow of this thing <laughs> oh yeah absolutely and i know we want to jump into some questions about you know what your thoughts on the series were and what your likes dislikes all that stuff but first i, I think our listeners would love to get a baseline on you so Cena, what is your x-men origin story what's your relationship to the franchise beyond writing Iceman? Well, first and foremost, I'm so mad that uh, I did not just uh, come in and go boom, 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 boom when you said baseline. <laughs> anyway, um, but I still had to make the stupid dad joke. Uh, <laughs> Which is well reflected in your run. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is me. Uh, so my first, like, I got into X-Men right around Fatal Attraction. Is that right? Where Wolverine gets the yeah. adamantium. Yeah, bone claws. Bone claws times. Yeah, that was right when I started. Like, John Romita Jr., uh, I believe, was drawing, like, Uncanny. Um, And I, yeah, I just always loved the characters. I thought they were so cool. What's interesting, too, kind of, like, analyzing all the stuff as a grown-up is that the X-Men were just always such a, like, well-rounded, diverse cast. And and casual. Like, it was casual that they were like this. Um and I, and I loved that there were like kind of like nine to 12 members <laughs> in each book. Um, and yeah, and then as I got older, I went back and, you know, read through the Jack Kirby material because there were those uh, essential X-Men trade paperbacks or whatever. That was like, yep. what, for like 15 bucks, you'd get 200 pages. They were just black and white. Something um, something ridiculous like that. I think that that's actually how I jumped into the series. Uh, when I was younger was I had the first issue of the Kirby ones and then the first three of Claremont's run. And I, I've still, I still have them sitting on my shelf right outside this room. I remember even like, I just, it was sort of like, it was the excitement. I like, I've only really had a few other times in life, like, and, and also the mystery around wanting to collect something. Mm-hmm. But like, it was kind of how I felt like when I started watching Buffy, which was like I started uh, between seasons three and four and it was before DVDs and streaming. So like I couldn't find those first two seasons and they were this mystery to me. Mm-hmm. And like I remembered this feeling when I was a kid trying to find um, a reprint of Giant Size X-Men number one because it was just, it you know, it was regarded as this like big deal issue mm-hmm. where like so much it happens. Pardon my French. Oh, you're good. Um, and I remembered buying uh, like an X-Men classic reprint of it and getting really upset because I was like, what happened? It said it was 64 pages and this is like only 30 pages. Like what am I like, is it a reduced? I just was like so confused. Um, and then same with like the Phoenix saga. Like 
there weren't really collected editions or digital books that I had access. There were no digital books, but like I couldn't really find like a collected edition of the Phoenix saga back then. Um, and so I was just buying back issues piecemeal cause they were expensive cause it was a big deal. Um, yeah. And then, and then from there it was sort of like Jim Lee was a, a big deal. And I'd, I'd kind of like find back issues that he had drawn or, you know, that had his covers on them. And then you, you go home and you open the book and you're like, who the fuck is this? Um, and yeah, and from there I just kept reading and, and on and off over the years, I just sort of remained an X-Men fan. Um, and I've said this before and I'm sure it's blasphemy or whatever, but like I ended up kind of following the artists mm-hmm. over the years and what was exciting about jumping onto Iceman uh, was that I could kind of revisit all of these eras and epochs that I had like um, grown up with and actually read them all the way through, you know, cause I was trying to follow the writers and trying to follow uh, Bobby Drake specifically. Mm-hmm. And that was also interesting. was like rereading the series. Um, not all the way. I didn't read like, you know, all like 7,000, you know, single X. Sure. Books, sure. But, like, but going through what I went through, uh, with an eye towards like, wait, what's Bobby doing in this story? And where's he at? And, and and that was a lot of fun. Um, I think I answered your question in that, in that ramble. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's there to me. It's, it's interesting to hear how people have gone back, you know, in finding the history. Cause like for me, I had, I had read those Claremont trades, uh, when I was younger. And then I just, I said, okay, this, this is all the X-Men I have access to. That's fine. And I put them aside for, like 10 years until I decided I wanted to read comics for real. And by that point, Marvel Unlimited was a thing. And so I've spent like the last four years just streamlining continuity. And now well, you. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, it's great. It's great. I have nothing to complain about. Uh, but it's it's interesting to see that. And then compared to, you know, some of the gaps they have in there. So like right now I'm going through and trying to find – just these weird back issues of late Excalibur just to fill out, okay, I know something happens here and I don't know exactly what. So yeah, no, I think it's, I think that's a very interesting perspective on uh, getting into the franchise. Now, you know, were you just, were you reading it uh, back when uh, Bobby first came out in uh, Brian Bendis's uh, all new X-Men run or had you fallen off by that point? Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I'd kind of come back in cause I like, I like uh, Bendis's writing and I was curious as to what he would do with the X-Men. Um, and then what was so funny was I was just kind of like, oh, like, what's he going to do with these time displaced X-Men? What's that about? And and then I, it's like, I love Stuart Eminem's art. I love Chris Pachalo's art. So obviously that uh, was a reason to pull me back in. Um, another thing I wanted to say about the previous question that I'm only realizing for the first time here on this interview is that a lot of credit um, for my X-Men fandom uh, I, I owe a great debt to like trading cards mm-hmm. um, because trading cards would have like, oh, like, you know, like most important moment images, you know, and it, it would be like, you know, the time Wolverine fought Sabretooth, which time, um, you know, and that and that helped me be like, oh, what, like what this happened, huh? Like, you know, and, and that kind of got me sort of hunting um, to find find out more about these like really striking images. Um, you know, like Inferno was just such a big mystery to me, but you know, thank, thank you trading cards. And then also the nineties animated series back to whatever we're talking about now though. (laughs) No, no, that's, that's perfectly fine. I think it's, I think it's very interesting to see, you know, how people pick up some of that information and bring it back. So for the, uh, you said you were reading the Bendis run. Now the big thing that happened there was, you know, Bobby came out. That was one of the big things that, he put in his series right near the end. What was your reaction just as a fan and as a reader to that? Because it, I, well, I think some aspects were well done and I'm not against the change. I know that that had caused some controversy within, you know, different fans. I'm, I really, it's like, it just goes to show you never know what's going to be like a pivotal moment in your life or, you know, what's going to like, it. you know, it's not like I had, I don't know. I had no, I had no opinion about it. I was just like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. And, and then I read the scene and I, I remembered being like, wow, that's like, that's an incredibly like emotional, um, 
like I could tell that it was like, you know, that they, there was a lot of effort put into it in terms of just like how to handle it and how to handle it honestly. Um, and the main thing I remembered was just like people kind of being like, oh, did you hear? Like, did you hear like, you know, what just got like leaked is that like, this is what's going to happen. And, and I think mm-hmm. that maybe actually overshadowed the importance, you know, in, in the actual meat of what did happen in that issue was that it sort of ended up getting treated like a salacious bit of clickbait and um you know just for that very moment you know and i don't know i don't know what it would be like for someone to kind of go through and revisit those because that you know that was just my experience but yeah that's that's where my head was at i just kind of it it was it was brought to me as like a scandal and uh i was like okay (laughs) like yeah i never i didn't really you know I, i didn't have this huge relationship with bobby um as an x-men fan um so there was no sense of betrayal and then and then kind of reading into it and then learning sort of that fans had been kind of talking about this for years oh yeah i was like well it's it's in the text like okay cool like i i buy it i vibe like whatever especially when you think of just like all the other changes um personality and body and otherwise that have happened to these people it's like, well, why not accept this? Like, you know, Betsy, Betsy Braddock is like a British woman in an Asian woman's body. Yeah. And we're okay. Like, so, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, like, yeah, this is like the X-Men, like that is the book where weird zany shit, you know, can happen and is acceptable and is speaking to like true journeys that we all go through. I think it's the, I think it's the best space for those kinds of like, subtexty moments um and and not so subtexty moments right yeah i i think that's just you know going through and seeing that stuff it's been something that you can even if you know textually stanley wasn't writing bobby drake as a as a gay man in the 60s that's not what he was doing you know louis simonson wasn't doing that in x factor however you know with that information there's enough i think overlapping things about bobby not being comfortable in his own skin that you can weld the canon together to tell the story. I don't, I think, you know, some people thought it was coming way out of left field and I don't think that's necessarily the case as you go back and read it. So yeah, I think that's a real, real unique opinion on it. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I agree. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think Stan the man is like, yeah, if you read it, like Stan the man was definitely not writing, um, Bobby as like a closet case um, because back then it was a big enough of a deal to write like, like liberal youngsters right. in books. Like the book was like already kind of um, not avant-garde, but it was already kind of like pushing some boundaries just with these like, you know, tenacious kids. Um, and it was speaking to kind of like this like emerging college audience of, of liberals who really wanted to like, you know, say something and do something and be something. Um, anyway, sorry. No, back to you. <laughs> oh, back to me. Back to you. I mean, this is this is all about you. People get to hear me every week. They don't get to hear Cena Grace all the time. Uh, oh, that I mean, unless they're just watching my Instagram stories, where I literally do just like think out loud all day. Um, but yeah, no, it was you know. Anyway, so yeah, I I agree that I don't think like I don't think these previous writers were doing that, but it's it's in the text mm-hmm. and. You know, like it's it just speaks. It just makes everything make much more sense. You sure. know, like and it turns it turns sort of a character that was kind of like, yeah, just sort of like a background character. It sort of like brings a poignancy to it in IMHO. Right, right. Now, now to your specific eleven issues on Iceman, uh, that was Bobby's third solo series, but his first actual ongoing. You know, the others, I think, were four issue minis. So, w- when you you know got this assignment, when you were asked to pitch this, what was your goal with the book? What were you trying to do or say with you know Bobby as a character? Um, I mean, it changed. It, it changed. Well, can I say changed a little more awkwardly? Um, <laughs> it changed a little bit. And I think the thing was like, I just remember being like oh, he's like hiding in plain sight. Like I can work with that. And I think I just kind of wanted to make a book where someone can be like, I'm not okay. And that's okay. 
Uh, and a lot of my like quote unquote emotional research, I, I looked into a lot of like stand up comics um, and people who work in comedy mm-hmm. and how how they compartmentalize and how they use comedy to to heal and to numb. Um, and and especially like I was looking at heterosexual dudes because just I knew, you know, I'd be up against like people who would not uh, sort of accept this book um, <laughs> at face value. And I, I just wanted to kind of cover my bases and, and yeah, and I, and I wanted to make a book that was about a guy kind of like finding himself and, and, and forging his own destiny. And then, and then that got really tricky because it was like, well, what is his destiny? And, and, um, and I feel like at the end of it, the solution to the whole series is like, who's to say, but like, like, like looking and asking the questions is a great start. And, you know, had I had, like another year and another year, I think, you know, it would have been about how much he can be a leader and that he can be counted on and can be relied on. Um, And, you know, we didn't quite get there, but I feel like I at least ended it in a place where we could really sort of like let this guy be the hero and save the day in future stories. um, And it would totally track and make sense. Uh, So I don't know. That was, that was sort of where my head was at with him the whole way through. No, that's, I think I think that really shines through in the last issue, which I believe for the listeners will have just come out last week, uh, number eleven, where there's you know this big moment of you know Bobby having to help another guy who's finding out he's a mutant and not dealing with it very well, and instead of being you know the jokester and the kid and all that of the team, which is a role he's often played, he has to be the big responsible one in. You know, take care of someone who's going through a weird situation and it ends on a real poignant moment of you know him kind of accepting that hey he can he can be this this guy that everyone's been saying you know Bobby Drake he got so much potential he's you know just untapped he's just not realizing it I think the book ends with a nice moment of him saying okay yeah never mind I, I can be that I can live up to that yeah yeah I really wanted I wanted you know that was the we, we, I, whoever, I don't know. Um, that was, that story was like in my back pocket from the beginning. Like I was like, I know how this book is going to end and it's going to end with Bobby helping someone come out, um, you know, as a mutant, like, like, let's just, let's just sort of like keep the metaphor rolling on itself. Cause that's the most fun, mm-hmm. um, you know, that Bobby would be so comfortable and so mature that he could help someone else come to terms with a part of their identity they're scared to face. Um, and yeah, I, th- I hope I landed the plane, you know, we'll, we'll find out. I'll, by the time listeners are hearing this, uh, the internet will have had a reaction. Um, I'm hoping positive, you know, like, yeah, it's, I, I feel like that was just kind of like the best I could do um, without ruffling too many feathers and, and staying true to the continuity. Cause I, I really did, you know, I really did try and just sort of like make this something that could fit in X-Men canon and didn't feel like fan fiction or didn't feel like, um, you know, something easily forgettable. Like I do think that middle Iceman miniseries, uh, there's a lot of like weird stuff. The, that, the like, one where he goes to Japan to take care of his son that turns out not to be actually his son. And then there's weird mutant, uh, half mutant weird creations trying to uh, capture it for an evil corporation. Yeah. That yeah. One. That one's, that one's one. bonkers. Yeah. Which all, and it also has, uh, get this, that's um, Scotty Young's first Marvel. Yeah, he is he does there. a couple of the issues in the middle of it. Yeah, I because uh, I like texted him about that. I was like, "Dude," and he was like, "That's actually my first Marvel work." And I was like, "Whoa!" Um, he also did a cover for me, and also the fact that I said in a sentence I texted him, and that was casual, is also like what. <laughs> anyway, um, back to the topic at hand. But uh, yeah, I really did try, and I, I didn't want to make it like inconsequential or goofy because um, I think when you look at also the first first miniseries, like what the hell are those bad guys? Um, and, and yeah, anyway, so that, yeah, I just really tried to like, I just wanted to contribute and I wanted to tell a story that I think I would have been interested in, like actually not first and foremost as a gay man, but as like first and foremost as an X-Men fan and like which stories like I vibed with, there was this random uncanny X-Men issue that Joe Matarera drew. Um, I, 
can't, I can't remember who wrote it. I think Scott Lobdell. Sounds right. But anyway, it's just about them making breakfast. Um, and it's just a great issue. You know what I mean? Like, it, there's a lot of character work. There's still a lot of, like, cool, you know, X-Men drawings. Um, you know, there's some, like, somehow Joe Matarera manages to, like, give you, like, a boob-tastic Psylocke shot, you know? Well, he, he, um, he was very good at that. That was... <laughs> yeah that that was his gift um, but you know all that is to say like i vibed with that like that you know and that has nothing to do with like my identity or sexuality mm-hmm. that has just everything to do with like what i find to be really compelling stories with these people they're a family you know and they're all different and i just love that about the x-men i love that they're fucking freaks and they love each other and they're like and being a freak is a good thing you know mm-hmm. um anyway <laughs> no, so I, I mean, I think that shows in your work. I'd say the uh, like the character drama side that you do with Iceman and some of his relationships with people, that's far and away the strongest uh, parts of the book, in my opinion. Like the conversations he has with his parents or with Kitty, or you know, like uh, Richter in the last issue. There's a lot of very good character stuff that goes on and i was curious how you went about balancing that which you know i've often joked that my ideal x-men comics is a bunch of mutants in casual wear sitting around a table talking but i know i'm in the minority Um, on that so how do you balance that with uh with you know the eight pages of fights that you got to fit into a superhero comic I well, I actually I do a couple things when I'm like drafting the issue, and and I've said this a few times. Like, I will lay the book out myself. I won't show the artist because that's just like, unless there's something very specific, which uh, throughout the entirety of Iceman, I never had to show the artist what my layouts were. But it's just to like get a visual sense uh, as to what I'm asking them to do, and like, so when I'm done with that, like I will tally like how many pages are like a fight scene? Is there a splash page? Like, um, you know, just to kind of get a a visual account of like what this comic book is providing a reader, because I do always have to remind myself, it's like, dude, this is a comic book. Like you've got to lean into the things that make comic books cool, you know, and like page layouts, super important. And like, you know, sort of uh, what you do with your panel compositions is like, key you know and 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 it makes it it makes or breaks a comic book experience um so i i I do actually like write down like four fight pages and i'm like okay gotta stretch that out um or like you know gotta uh sort of like winnow it down if if, uh, there are too many talking head pages um and then some of it's editorial like with issue eight uh where bobby has dinner with his parents and his time display self um my editor at the time, Darren Shan was like, I don't want a fight scene in this. Like, I just want them. I just want 20 pages of dinner. Um, and I was like, no, people are going to hate this book. No. Like, so I put the fire, the pyro fight in the beginning, um, just to kind of also give like, that was my way to be like previously on Iceman. Like, you know, like, like here's all this context. If you're just picking it up because the Mike Diodato cover, you know, drew you in. Um, and, and then similarly, like I, I challenged myself like, okay, if this is a talking head issue, how do you still make it visually interesting? And, and that was how I came up with the idea of like time displaced Bobby, like literally freezing up, mm-hmm. uh, when it came to seeing his parents. Cause I already knew, I knew what the twist of the issue was going to be, which was that like, they wanted to try and like re-raise Bobby in the hopes that like they could have the son that they wanted. Um, so I kind of needed like, okay, well that's like, uh, that, all right, well, yeah, but like we live in an age where like, you know, there's 20 million twists and turns on a CW show. So like the reader's going to be bored out of their minds. Like what, you know, what else do you do to it? And and that's kind of that challenging myself. Like how do you make this visually interesting uh, is where I got some of the stuff for that one. Um, did that? Yeah. Was that appropriate? <laughs> yeah, that's perfectly fine. No, that's that's good. I think uh, one of the things, and your artist on the, I mean, the, you you had a couple, but the guy who did the most was uh, Robert Gale doing what six or eight of the uh, eleven issues, something around there. Yeah, he ended up doing the last six. Okay. Um, bless his soul. <laughs> yeah, he, I, I know he had a lot of very interesting visual styles as it went through, especially in 
the later arcs uh, with uh, Dakin, which is what I kind of wanted to get into next. And I'm sure that I'm sure since you are you are an active internet person that you've seen people talking. Dakin's a character that people have a lot of opinions on. Yeah, I didn't. Man, I didn't know that. <laughs> BTW, just um, I could be wrong, but I think it's Dakin. And I only say that because that's how Marjorie Lou said it to me when I ran up to her in San Diego. And I was like, you help me. <laughs> um, so I think it's Doc Hen. If she thinks it's that's the way to do it, then I'm pretty sure she's right. And I'm just the asshole here. So <laughs> it's, hey, for years, I called Magneto Magneto and I called Venom Venom. I was five. That was my excuse. But Venom hey, is I'm a real word. Not. Like Magneto is also a real word, but it's mis- it's pronounced different than all, you know, both of those ways. Venom's like a thing. I was five. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, Doc Hen, what was the question? I don't know if there was a question yet, but you know, you you oh, wrote yeah. him, you know, at the same time as Tom Taylor was writing him in All New Wolverine, and you definitely gave him a very villainous tent, you know, tint, which you know, for a guy who has literally murdered babies without remorse is not necessarily a bad take on it. So I was, I was curious how you balanced, you know, that take on the character, you know, or how, how you came to that version where, you know, someone else can come to a more, you know, anti-hero take on the character. Um, well, so the one thing I'll say about the Tom Taylor versus me thing was that, um, I, I had asked, like, you, you you have to ask about character availability when you're pitching ideas. And they were like, oh, he's going to show up in all new Wolverine, but not for a mm-hmm. while. And I didn't do my due diligence after that because I just assumed, like, okay, they'll let me know. Like, and I just thought it'd be, like, well after my arc with him. Um, and I knew that my arc would end on a redemptive note because I I wanted to figure out the most sort of, like, unexpected and surprising way that those two could kiss uh, without Daken aggressing on Bobby. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and speaking of the internet, what I love is like someone, some of the like people who just like really want to make sure this, like, like really want to poo on the book. Like they were trying to use that as like, like me pushing like, um, you know, like rape culture and I wanted to be like, well, okay, clearly you both have not read the series because Doc Hen has been trying to hook up with Bobby for like multiple issues. So consent is totally on the table. Um, anyway, I just thought that was funny and I wanted to say that That's out loud. A- I wanted to defend myself. You may not want yes, to be reading yeah. those people's comments anymore. I don't think that they they might have you know a great head on their shoulders. That's I don't, I don't, and I don't usually read a lot of that stuff, but every once in a while you'll like look at something and you'll be like, Hey, what is this? Oh, oh, boo. It's Nagy, whatever. But, um, so I, I came up, I, when, when we were talking about using him in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, the idea was that like, here is someone who is everything Bobby's not like he's comfortable in his skin. He's super confident. Like he doesn't give a damn about anyone. And Bobby gives a damn about everyone to the point where he's like paralyzed when it comes to self-expression. Um, and the goal was like, how do we, how do we put these two at odds with each other and really push sort of, you know, like the, the mutant metaphor of it all. Like, um, and that's, that's where I started. So like, you know, and, and we always looked at him as an anti-hero. Um, I think, you know, Doc Hen was getting progressively crankier and crankier and, you know, the seed that was in him was also kind of exacerbating his darker tendencies. Um, and yeah, and I just kind of, I, I went with that and I, and I wanted to treat him a little bit like uh, Damon in the Vampire Diaries where you, when you first meet him, you're like, okay, how the hell does the main character end up like wanting to be with this guy? Uh, and that's half the fun is like, you just start them at polar opposites and you figure out like, what's your long game and how do you get these two to actually like see eye to eye and see value in each other. And, you know, 
how do you make this guy not a complete prick? Um, <laughs> um, and I think I just ended it with him being a complete prick, but Bobby like helping him out. Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you the way you ended it. I was not expecting a callback to him getting resurrected by time travel and the uh, shoot the children of archangel from being apocalypse that one time like that was like i had in the back of my mind that oh yeah i know that's continuity i know that's a thing that's happened but a lot of people seemed okay like just move on you know it's one of those drop plot threads that never gets pulled back up so that coming up in your run and being such a significant part of his arc was i don't know it's pretty surprising i i enjoyed as you know a continuity nerd yeah and that came from you know, again, it's like I, in part of my research, like I would reach out to um, writers I had access to and I reached out to Rick Remender and I was like, hey, I'm writing Doc Hen into the book. Like, do you have any kind of like advice you want to give me? And same with just like working at Marvel. Like, it's like, hey, I'm like writing this book at Marvel. Like, if you have any feedback or advice, like, I just don't want to fuck it up. Um, and, you know, Rick said like X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. And then like also like, you know, uh, I did this thing with Doc Hen and like kind of left it there and no one ever picked it up. Like make of that what you will. Um, and it took a lot of convincing editorial. I was like, I really like this. I really want to do something with this. I really want to play with that. And I think it'll be um, rewarding to, to people who are fans of the character. Um, and it'll be a resolution in a way too. Like, just like I can fix it. Like I can, I can also get rid of that plot thread too. Um, you know, and they like they didn't like quite immediately like you know they weren't like yeah like yes bitch like do it, um, but I you know once I once I kind of wrote it out and 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 sort of showed how like it would also kind of bring these two together in a way like then they were like okay cool yeah go give it a shot <laughs> give it a shot kiddo, um, but yeah I don't know he's just such a compelling character and he's he's had such a rough rough past mm-hmm. that you know it it makes sense like why one day he he's on your side and the next day he might emotionally backslide and, and be kind of a, a douchebag. And, you know, then the next day kind of have all this heart and compassion. Um, so, but for anyone listening, I would say like chronologically my Iceman arc takes place like, you know, a skosh before Tom Taylor's Wolverine arc. If that like clears everything up for people. Um, <laughs> look, all I know is that's now officially going to be in like the Marvel Wikias and everything in the world. You have spoken it into existence. So it shall forever be. Goody. <laughs> uh, no. So, at, you know, you got a chance to write Daken. Uh, you got a chance to write a couple other characters in there. But who was a character that you wanted to get a chance to, you know, take a stab at, but was never able to work it into the story you were telling? I really, really wanted to do something with Emma, but her, um, her arc just was not, I, there was never a good time to kind of like introduce such a powerhouse character, uh, into the series, especially again, she was just sort of like embroiled in all these like larger macro X-Men and Marvel universe stories that like, they were very protective of how she was being utilized. Um, but I really wanted to do something with that because that was actually the one sort of like, if I think about Bobby Drake, I think about like when him and Emma get in that huge fight and she's like, you're being a fucking pussy. And he's like, shut up. <laughs> um, like that, that always stuck with me. And, and I just thought, okay, like if we're talking about, you know, this lady knowing him better than he knows himself, like she might also know some shit about like his sexual identity and his just, you know, compartmentalization or whatever. And I just really wanted to do something with that, but there wasn't, there wasn't an opportunity. Um, and, and I have to make peace with that. It's kind of like, you know, when you're working on like a TV show and you can't get that actor for like that episode and you just have to make do <laughs> with like, oh, well, this actor is available. Um, it's just weird with comic characters. You don't, you don't think that they don't, they have diva contracts, but <laughs> <laughs> well, if any, if anyone would have, it'd be Emma. That's a, yeah. that, that's interesting. It's a bit bit unfortunate because i think your specific take on emma would be a good unique you know view of the character who has had a lot of connections with bobby drake over the years so that's uh yeah and it would have been so much fun to just write someone so kind of like confident 
and uh, I think I'm using this word right, imperious, and like also sort of she's sort of snarky, you know, a little bit, um, yeah. depending on who. <laughs> like I love the way, like I love the way, like Grant Morrison wrote her. Um, I think Joss Whedon did a, a good enough job with her. You know, I just I. I wanted to kind of prove that like I could nail her voice um, and, and really kind of like get some, like some just like, like really nasty one liners out into the book because uh, I think Bobby ends up like the way I write Bobby is a little bit like Zach Braff and scrubs, you know, like kind of just like sort of nervous, like clean dad jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, as a gay man, like, I am capable of, like, far, far more ruthless dialogue than that. Um, and I got to do a little bit of it with Daken, but not not enough. Um, because mainly, like, a lot of what I... He's all innuendo. Like, he wouldn't, you know, he doesn't quite say these lines that, like, you know, hurt. Except for the, you know, the shit he said to Bobby that made him come out to his parents. Yeah. But, um you know, that was, but that's few and far between with it, with that character. Um, anyway, you know, cause he's not a telepath. Um, but yeah, I really, yeah, I wish I could have gotten a chance to do something with Emma. Um, and, and she's also another one of those like morally ambiguous characters that you really can kind of go anywhere with. Um, and, and the reader will, will go along for the ride and not, not question you too much about it. No, that, that's, yeah, that's cool. I, w- I wish we would have got to see it because it sounds like you've got a good, Good take on the character. So as we uh, as we wrap up my questions for this, we're going to go to Twitter questions in a second. But had one last question for you on this book. You know, with these eleven issues that mm-hmm. you had, what are you the most proud of? I mean, like at face value, doing it. You know, like <laughs> that's such a dumb answer. Um, I don't know. It's. It's such a weird book. I'm just so like, it's like, I can't believe I did it. You know, I can't believe it came out and I can't believe I landed the plane in some regards. Um, I'm really happy with the last mm-hmm. issue. I think I just kind of was like, it, there's there there's a lot of ambition to it. And I don't know if everything is successful, but like in in 20 pages, it's like you see a guy go on a date and, and it's not even like a successful date. And that, and, and, and I resolve that. And then, you know, like you see him help someone else come out of the closet. Then you also have these flashbacks that are, um, pretty like super interesting to analyze in the, in the sense of like, I, I told, uh, CBR this, and this will all be out by the time this interview's out. But like, it's a, it's a, it's very like metatextual. Like it's all about like, the performative identity of like sexual, like the performance of identity. Like it's like, here I am drawing in six different styles. Like what does that tell you about like how we can kind of put on masks and perform for people um, in order to like, you know, uh, get the desired reaction. Um, And I just thought that was super ill. And I, and I, I was so happy that Marvel let me do that. And, and, you know, I had to make a case for it because they don't love, um, writers like you know, kind of cross-pollinating uh, mm-hmm. responsibilities. You know, unless you're named, like Becky or Jason <laughs> or Scotty, um, it's it. They're they're very like nah. Like you're either a writer or you're an artist, and and for them to let me do that was super cool. I also love Kevin's cover mm-hmm. for that issue. We worked so hard um, to just try and make it like the coolest, most epic. Iceman shot like it's like okay we only have one more cover like what like what do we need to fit in and it's like let's fit everything in um so I would say the last issue just really reflects like everything I wanted to have happen with the series even his relationship with his parents and um I I think I'm super proud of like that they got an arc you know and same with Kitty Pride like she had an emotional arc and even though I took like some, you know, some beatings for like how I represented her in issue two, it was to, to have her, you know, grow and change by issues four and five, like, you know, and, and for her to show up as a friend and even with like issue 10 and her being like, oh man, like, I'm just trying to be here for you. And like, maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe you're not doing it right. But Hey, like you want a team, you know, like, is that, is that what I'm missing? And I was just proud of all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess like issue 11, 
it's like it's a pretty yeah, cool it's, one. <laughs> it's great. Like for people who, if you haven't read anything on this book, pick up issue eleven on Comicsology right now. It's my favorite issue of the run. I was so excited to get to take a look at it, and it really, you know, it's a good standalone that distills everything that this run was about. So yeah, go do that, guys. But un, un, you know, <laughs> while you're doing that, we've got a few Twitter questions. Uh, so. Yeah, we actually have a lot of Twitter questions, and we are not going to get to all of them because there's like 20. What? Yeah, oh, okay. Well, many. That's, well let's... that's far too many. People got very ambitious with this in the 45 minutes that I had this up between starting the interview <laughs> and this. But that's <laughs> no, good. So we'll hit some quick hits on this. Uh, Luke at Coltrag on Twitter asks, if Bobby can make sentient ice creatures – would those be his ice ice babies? Um yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um oh man. Oh god, power set questions are gonna be weird. Uh but yeah, sure. Perfect. Yeah, LOL, Perfect. yeah. <laughs> uh Genetic Ghost on Twitter asks, was Rick Richter always going to be part of the series, or did that evolve from something else? Um that was okay wait let me let me really answer this and think about how i came up with that um so okay i guess i can tell this at first they told me i had 10 issues then they were like never mind let's give you 11 and i was like okay cool because like sales were sort of kind of steadily like going back up um or something i don't know i don't know how they make these decisions but um so I suddenly had this 11th issue and I knew Judah and Bobby were going to break up um, because I knew I wanted to end the series with Bobby being single. Um, and also like, no, he's not going to move across the country for a guy. Right. That um, was very quick. But uh, <laughs> Well, and you know what here, let me tell you this, like gay Twitter had my back because gay Twitter knows that like that happens. Like you do some crazy fucking shit the first time you imprint on a guy. Like, I like I almost moved to Seattle for a guy because like again I just was like oh like it's there's so much going on with like that whole journey especially if like it's fraught with like I didn't come out until I was 30 like of course Bobby would just like say yes to the first thing that feels comfortable and gay Twitter had my back on that so thank you gay Twitter um but uh <laughs> anyway back to the Richter thing so I I thought okay you know what I want to do is like I want to show Bobby like go on a bad date. <laughs> like I want to like, let's do that. Like, I don't think the Marvel universe has too many of those stories. Um, and, and that's the beauty of like X-Men is like, it is very soap opera where like people do kind of like, you know, like I feel like everyone's kind of flirted with everyone in the X-Men universe. And I wanted to do that for like the queer X-Men characters. Like, and that's also a real thing with like, I think dating in smaller communities is like you hit a point and you like look at someone and you're like, maybe we should be a thing. Uh, and then you go on a date and you're like, maybe we shouldn't be a thing. But uh, so that's where I came up with the Richter idea. Um, and it was so funny that like me trying to like, like effortlessly create a space where that could happen before new mutants. Number one, like just like, really really pissed off the internet but whatever in the trade everything will be fine but yeah <laughs> that's how we met right because like, i look i had one yeah, person and they know who they are freak out on freak a wednesday out. morning saying zach 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 did you what's going on with ice man i really invested in this couple and i said okay well let's let's take a look at this let's see and reached out to you got got some comments on it and yeah i think end of the day it worked out real well yeah they were on a break <laughs> sorry i had to do the friends reference um but yeah and it's like and that's the great thing too because like they didn't kiss they didn't do anything like they both just spent the whole time like you know waxing and mooning over or pining for their um other dudes so yeah it all worked out but you know it's it, it was like this you know it was the second arcs version of that mm -hmm. kitty pride thing where like I was just like, yeah, they're going to be pissed off this week. But in like three months, they A, won't care and B, will be fine with like the decisions yeah. I made. Um, really long answer to a very simple question. Next. <laughs> uh, Everett Christensen at Zahurisense asks, 
how much responsibility or pressure did you feel towards being representative of gay culture? And is there any intersectional gay mutant culture differences you would have liked to explore? Um, I felt like a, like I felt a ton of pressure, but then I also felt like no pressure because I was just kind of like, I like, I was like, I don't know, like I either have this or I don't. And you know, like you, you know, every, you, you have all the experiences from your past to like set you up for a moment and you either pull it off or you don't. So I tried not to get too stressed out. And, and all that being said, you know, like I, I, I went to school and I studied writing in college and, um, I, like I went to a liberal arts college. So like we were studying a lot of, um, like literary criticism and sort of, uh, I'm like losing all my college words because I'm tired, but, um, but like I, I studied the idea, like the notion of representation and the notion of like responsible storytelling. So I felt very confident that like I could be ahead of any blind spots I might have. Um, and then with this character specifically, I, I just doubled down on, on what the assignment was, which is like, it's a man in his late twenties, early thirties, who just came out of the closet, like do with that what you will. Um, so for me, I was like, okay, it's totally okay to be safe. It's totally okay to like have sort of like some training wheels in this arc because, you know, that's where he's at. Like, and you know, and then I can bring in the time displaced Bobby here and there to let the reader know, I know that there is a larger culture of, you know, like, uh, like a, a broader gay experience than just like, Oh, well is me, you know, the thing that makes me different is my narrative shortcoming or whatever, you know? And, and so I, I tried my best, um, with the character and where he was at. Um, and then also with the fact that this is a, you know, this is a book that, um, is, uh, like, like all X-Men books has to be like nineties PG 13. So like, I think that was the thing where I felt like, I felt put against a wall where it's like, there are some, some gay people that are just like, yo, like, I want this to be like, I want this to be an X tube porno because that's my culture. And I'm like, I get that dude, but this is a comic book where you can't even say bad words or even say the word sex. Like I can't do that. <laughs> um, and then similarly, it's like, oh, and this also has to, um, you know, be accessible for just like a random straight dude who wants to read a really great yarn. Um, so don't bog it down with like this, that, or the other. And, you know, and I just found my way, I don't know, like there's a lot of coded stuff in there. And, um, I think if I had any, I don't know, I guess it's like, I don't even know if I regret the, how I handled or didn't handle sort of the broader landscape of the, you know, the gay community. And, and the best I could do was sort of just, bring in as many of those characters in the series as possible. You know, like that's why Doc Hen became such a bigger picture antagonist was like, okay, like, yeah, he's, you know, he's queer, he's bisexual. Um, his power set kind of makes him problematic because like bisexual, the bisexual community tends to like be represented as like morally ambiguous. You can't trust them because like, who's to say what they're going to pick tomorrow. And that was, a uh, that was like, how do I like, how do I like, you know, how do I make this like a positive representation, even though I'm using him as a bad guy? I don't know. So yeah, I tried my best. That's all I can say. Um, and then with intersectionality, I didn't stare too hard at that. Cause I just, I don't know, like I, I guess I experience a lot of quote unquote intersectionality as like a queer dude and a person of, you know, a uh, vague color. I, I, I call myself ethnic white for being half Persian, but having this fucking stupid name. I love my name. Don't, 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 don't self hate Cena. Um, so I didn't really push myself or challenge myself to like add more or less to that. Cause I just kind of felt like it would show up in the text regardless, given my own experiences. Um, so yeah, that's sort of, that's everything. Yeah. That's, I think that's a very good academic answer and I have literally nothing that I can add to that. <laughs> uh, but uh, moving on, Chad Jeffrey H at guess who six two one on Twitter asks, what are your favorite looks for Iceman? Mm, um, as a superhero, I, 
I loved like the chunky John Romita Jr. look. And I would always tell the artist to like do that whenever he's like Hulk smash angry. Um, I, I didn't really like his like eighties looks for the most part. Um, I also didn't really like, if you look at the way Jim Lee drew him, sometimes it was like, he'd be like splashing ice off of himself every once in a while. That was weird. I did love the way Alessandro Vidi drew him as Iceman. Um, where he's like very like shiny. Like I love, I love how Sean Ashmore looked in mm-hmm. days of the future past. Like when he would ice up, I thought that was really ill. Um, I do also love like, you know, that like the current costume is like, how come like the rest of him is ice, but like his clothes are still his clothes. Like I liked that. I thought that was funny. Um, and then there is, yeah, I don't know. But then there is like a really cute, like value to like, he looks essentially like he's in his underwear with an X belt. Um, and then in terms of the fashions, uh, I lo- like, I would send, um, I would send the artists, uh, like Google image search results of like Steven Yun, uh, like streetwear, And like, I would send pictures of, uh, Tom Hall. No, not Tom Holland. Um, Andrew Garfield. I like Andrew Garfield street style was like my Bobby Drake, uh, fashion inspiration, um so poor like alessandro just kept getting these pictures of like him and emma stone like running from the paparazzi um so yeah that was the, that's my Iceman fashion i mean look answer. i think it you know he can he can borrow from his amazing friend to get his looks i, could, I would believe bobby would do that hell yeah <laughs> uh gerald danvers at super Cur- curry max on twitter asks was there any ever ever any inclination to include opal or her baby in this series which we discussed earlier from that very interesting uh series uh miniseries in the early 2000s no no interest that felt very much like leave the past in the past it's a weird series her. yeah i get that like <laughs> it's weird that this series is the most grounded yeah. miniseries that Iceman has had because everything else has been buck wild yeah, I know. And mine had an ice kaiju, but still. <laughs> well, it, go- it goes well with the uh, ice Voltron that he made that one time. <laughs> exactly. Wait, when when did he make an ice Voltron? Oh, did you not? Uh, in, uh, shit, what was it? Uh, Wolverine and the X-Men. Uh, at that, he makes an ice Voltron to fight a bunch of Krakoas. I, I have the first three trades of that. Maybe I missed that. Uh... Yeah, it's it's near the end of the run. It's like the second, second to last one. Shit. Uh, yeah, no, he makes. I'm going to send you a picture of this because, as the guy who wrote Iceman, I feel like you owe it to yourself to know that this is a, uh, this is a thing that did in fact happen. I just lost everyone. Everyone is like, boo, you're done, you're out. Good riddance for not knowing that. <laughs> Yes, it's definitely a Voltron with an X-Men logo on it. Shit. I need to see that. Okay, cool. Well, now I learned something new, and now I, now I need a do-over. Someone, give me the series again. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of, speaking of that, the last, the last question that I want to cover, and we got this from a lot of people, but we will choose this one. Daily X-Men Facts at Daily X-Men Facts on Twitter asked a lot of things, but the big thing is, you know, if you got a chance to go on, what would you have liked to do? Um, so I, I said this earlier. I like, I really like, you know, the book is always about identity. Um, so I would keep just sort of fluctuating on, on that. Um, I would, you know, like in my head, the next arc would have been like the trials and errors of leading a team. And then the other thing I thought was like, you know, we're so focused on Bobby's past. Like let's focus on his future. Um, and let's also, I want, I was thinking like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if like, I don't know. I just thought like, it'd be really neat to see what would happen if he had to kind of deal one-on-one with like, you know, these darker versions of his future, you know, and, and, and him having this like fear of like what he could become in a bad way. Um, so those were the two things I wanted was to just sort of like show Bobby as a team leader and then have Bobby really like face like 
the the dark like the fear fear of future you know like i think that's a thing a lot of grown-ups uh have to face and so that's where i would have gone um and then yeah i think i would have pushed more especially like with gene back like I, i've said this a few times it's like i just wanted to do a therapy issue like i just wanted to so badly do the x-men version of like therapy where like he goes in his head um and you just see you see some shit you know what i mean like i really wanted that but you know hey that's what the future's for. Maybe, you know, there'll, there'll be other opportunities to, to hopefully write him, maybe not in a series, but in a team book or whatnot. We'll see. That's, that's interesting. Now, the one, the one thing I have spinning out of this, and I'm sure people will be remiss because I've seen them continuously ask this. Did you have a pitch for that team? Like, did you have, even if it wasn't going to be a thing and you knew that, did you have like the guys that you wanted in mind for that? yeah and like page one of issue 11 is sort of a hint at like who i would use Mm -hmm. um i know like i love i love id i love her so much and i also think she's a really great character to have in bobby drake's orbit because she is capable of so much pain and violence but she believes she believes herself better than that and she believes she's capable of being something beautiful. Um, so I would have really liked to have spent more time with those two characters. And similarly, like that girl, Michaela that I introduced, I would have loved to have like really let her kind of be the comedic backbone for a team and, and yeah, and then play around with some like generation X characters I loved. And, um, and it was just funny. Cause it's like, when I did think about that team, I was like, well, who like, who would accept like being a subordinate to Iceman, you know, like it's like, <laughs> It's like, okay, Wolverine can't be on that team. You know what I mean? Jean Grey can't be on that team. Like, Bishop is certainly not going to be like... like, He'll be like, fool, I saved the future. Like, no, you're not telling me what to do. I mean, or maybe that would be a great teammate to have. Never mind. Do you hear this, Internet? Please, like, start now. Uh, X-Men Ice hashtag or whatever. Let's... You're hearing this team. (laughs) I'm just making it up as I go along. But, uh, um, oh, that is funny. That Bishop would actually be a really great subordinate for bobby drake um i think it'd be an interesting dynamic because you know they were they were on the same team on the gold team in the early 90s when bishop did not want to play nice with anyone so he's someone who's gotten to be right there with bobby as you know the jokester bobby is the you know the comic relief on the team and him already trying to struggle with you know giving up leadership stuff to someone like storm who is very good at being a leader and a very you know, very regal person to, so to see that balance against Bobby, I think that'd be, that'd be a very fascinating uh, duo. Maybe I'll make like a, I can't do this. I'll get in so much trouble, but I'm like, maybe I'll make like a little weird zine that I like hand print and like only take with me to like, or hand make and only take at cons where I like, you know, I do all these like fantasies and stuff like here, here's (laughs) the missing issue 12. Like, I don't know. I won't do that. That's a, that's illegal, but it's funny to talk about on podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anyone who would make unauthorized X Men zines. That's that's such a crazy thing to do. Just a quick editor's note here: pre-orders for the Xavier Files zine start this week. That's like the backbone of being an X Men fan. <laughs> like it's like Marvel. Like Marvel has to be chill about that. The same way like Disney has to be chill about like Star Wars fans kind of creating their own merchandise. It's like. It's like you've got to let the culture have its freedom because it it's only healthy for everyone. <laughs> no, that that's awesome. And I think that uh that wraps up this portion of it. So Cena, thank you so much for uh being on and talking about Iceman. It's a fun series. Sad to see it sad to see it go. Thank you. And I am too, but I think I ended it as best as I could and uh, for anyone listening who didn't check the series out, it's all done. You should go. You should read it because it's a complete story. There's a complete narrative arc. Um, and there's some really cool art in the book. Yeah, in the books, book, whatever. Um, and I'm proud of it. And you can't take that away from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, so uh, this has been Battle of the Atom. Everything associated with Battle of the Atom can be found at XavierFiles.com. That's also where I write weekly articles about different x-men characters last week it was pixie i haven't looked far enough ahead to write who this next week is but it's definitely written down somewhere 
so that'll be exciting. Uh, we also have the you know weekly article. Or I already said weekly articles. I'm an idiot. Uh, the Battle of the Atom stuff goes up every Monday. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Xavier Files. And you know, just wanted to throw another shout out to everyone who supports this show on Patreon. It's how we fund everything we do in the Xavier Files media empire. Uh, so if you go over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files, you can donate. Uh, there's different reward tiers, including getting a story of your choice. Yeah, put onto our big old list ranking every X-Men story ever, and we will craft the entire episode around your pick. We have some very interesting ones coming up soon, including an Ultimate Spider-Man story and a story that is literally just the layout of the X-Mansion. So we got we got some fun stuff that we're going to be doing in the near future. Uh, Adam is also part of this, and I forget his Twitter hashtag thing because I just type in Adam when I want to talk to him. Uh, it's at Arthur Stacy. I should know that. We've been friends for a while. He's going to be back next week. Uh, next week, we also have uh, we have Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler from Cable coming on to talk about their upcoming series. It's going to be a ton of fun. Until then... Uh, last but not least, Cena, thank you so much for uh, writing this book, coming on. We really appreciate it. And, you know, it'd be perfect if you didn't finally name an X-Men character with my first name and then also make him kind of a jerk man. But I appreciate <laughs> everything except for that in the book. Apologies. <laughs> no, it happens. It's a very common name. <laughs> yeah and and i have a good friend who is also asian named zach and i was like hey man I, I don't think you're like this i don't i don't think you're a tool and he was like it's okay man and i was like okay cool uh so sorry to anyone named zach all the all the zacks of the world i think i can speak for all of us can uh forgive you uh but until you heard, uh, it here. <laughs> you heard it here uh until next time guys this has been bow the atom we hope you survived the experience Get it!